Dear Lord, open my eyes, enlighten my heart, and speak through my lips. Amen. They came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. I just bought a new car just a couple weeks ago. And it's one of these newfangled cars that has everything lit up on the dashboard so you can see it and instead of having to look down at these gauges moving and stuff like that. Uh, and within the first week that I had it, I was driving around and it started raining. So I turned on the wipers and I turned on the lights and I drove for a little while and it stopped raining but it was still cloudy. And I looked down at the dashboard and I couldn't see a darn thing. You know, the, everything was dim because the headlights were on. And uh, I looked out at the, at, through the window and it really looked kind of dark and yucky outside. And I thought, well, this kind of stinks. I can't really see anything. And then I realized I'd left my sunglasses on. <laughs> and when I took them off, I could see the dashboard. I could see outside, and the, there was a light in the world that I hadn't appreciated when I had the darn sunglasses on. The world can be a little bit like that, too, sometimes. Sometimes what we see is dimmer, or only a shadow of what's really there. And I'd like to talk a couple, about a couple of the stories we heard today that are both shadows of a truth that we know. So first, I have to talk, preach, as Julie said, on the good news of John's beheading. John the Baptist has become a famous prophet in Israel. Uh, but he's also become a thorn in the side of Herod, who is the ruler of that portion of Judea. So Herod has him arrested. But Herod has a weird attraction to John. John is telling him th Herod things that he doesn't want to hear, but Herod's very interested in what John has to say, even though he doesn't necessarily want to hear it. So he puts him away, but he doesn't kill him. And time goes on, and we heard the story today. Uh, it's not a particularly pretty one about Herod keeping John in prison, but keeping him alive, and finally being finagled out of John's head by his wife's daughter, uh, who has done a very nice dance and has coaxed Herod, who sounds a bit like the old Letcher, to uh, let him, let her have whatever she wants, and she wants John the Baptist's head, and she gets it. And when John's disciples heard about his death, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And that's the end of the story. We never hear anything more about John. We heard in Samuel today, in the first reading, we heard about David. And 
If you've been here the last few weeks, and if you're here the next few weeks, we're going to hear a lot about David. We're hearing about the arc of David's story, the arc of David's triumph from his beginning as a shepherd, when he's chosen to be the king of Israel and the king of Judah. And in a few weeks, we'll hear at the very end of David, an old man dying and leaving behind his kingdom. Right now, we're at the very ark, the very top of the ark of that story. David has been chosen. Saul and his son Jonathan, who would have been the obvious uh, successor to the throne, have conveniently been killed by the Amorites or the Philistines. I don't remember which one, but they're very dead. David has now been made king not only of Judah, which is the tribe that he came from, but of Israel, all of the other tribes. He's conquered what used to be a small city in the center of what we know of Israel as Israel that he calls Jerusalem, that's known as the city of David. And now, finally, he is ready to bring the Ark of the Covenant from the place where it had been to his new city to bring God's ark to the new city. And the story we hear today is about David bringing the ark into the city with dancing and festivity and this and that. And I can tell you, just if you listen the next few weeks, it's all downhill from there. But right now, he's at the peak of his power, the peak of God's favor towards David. And at the end of the story today, we hear about David calling all the people together, sacrificing before the Lord so many oxen and kids and sheep and doves and this and that, that he can send everyone away with a portion of bread, a portion of meat, and a portion of dessert, of raisin cake. So the crowd will eat, and tomorrow the crowd will be hungry again. So these are two stories that are about regular human existence. Eat, drink, be hungry again, be thirsty again. Stand up to power, be killed, disappear from the human story. If we think about these stories, however, both of them may remind us of stories we know of Jesus. And ancient commentators going back to the Middle Ages and before understood that some of what we read about other characters in the Bible remind us of Jesus. And they're called types of Jesus. They are the stories that foreshadow the story of Jesus, the stories that are partial stories of Jesus that will be fulfilled when Jesus comes to live among his people. So David feeds the crowd. 
he has to sacrifice a few thousand animals to do that. Jesus can feed the crowd with nothing but a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread. The crowd that David fed will be thirsty tomorrow. As Jesus told the Samaritan woman, he can give living water, and those who drink of the water that he will give them will never be thirsty. Jesus is the bread of life who can fill us. The son of David is greater than David. Similarly, as one of the commentators points out, later in the gospel in the section that we read today, Jesus is also put to death on the order of a vacillating, reluctant potentate. Jesus' disciples come, take down his body, lay it in a tomb, and roll a rock in front of the tomb. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus doesn't stay dead. God raises Jesus. God reveals Jesus as divine. Jesus walks among his followers again, encouraging them. And in time, he sends them the Holy Spirit to be with them from that point forever. Jesus' followers go out and preach the story of God coming to us humans. The story spreads across the entire world, and it comes down to us as our story. So we are different from the people of David's kingdom. We are different from John the Baptist's followers. We are different from those in the world around us who do not know or cannot see the story of Jesus the Christ. Our God has come into the world to be among us as one of us. Our God has sent his spirit to be with us always. In the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians, the people in Ephesus that we read today, Paul tells us that God destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ. He tells us that we are marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. He tells us that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. We are privileged to see a light in the world that others can't, and to see the world in a light that others can't. Great. Good for us. We're special. Okay. Is that the end of the story, though? I don't think so. What do we do with this information about what we are privileged to see? 
How do we respond to it? Do we just think that it makes us better and treat everyone else as if we're better? Should we respond by telling others about the light that we can see? Now, despite the fact that I'm standing on a box right now, you probably aren't going to see me on a soapbox on the corner telling people about the light that I see. But I think that we do need to bring our faith into our conversations. Our private conversations and our conversations in the public square. We have something to share about what we know with others. We should probably do that with respect for others. As one of our hymns remind us, God's truth is the truth behind the wisdoms that as yet know not our Lord. So we owe those wisdoms respect, but we also owe those wisdoms the light that is in ours. So we should tell others about the light. Another thing that I feel that we should do is to see the light, is to see the world in the light of the holy. We need to look at the world looking for the light. We need to look at it, look for it in God's creation around us, and we need to look for it in others. If we do that, some of what we see will be extremely beautiful, extremely stirring, extremely satisfying. However, some of what we see will be extremely disturbing. In the psalm today, we learn that the world that God wants us to see is a world where mercy and truth have met together and righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So we can't see the world in God's light and then treat the world around us, the air, the land, the water, as if it were no importance if we see the light of God in that world. We cannot look at another's pain or accept injustice to another if we see that other person in the light of the Spirit. Seeing the world as holy implies a tremendous duty as well as a tremendous joy. However, I know for me at least, it's far easier in some ways to keep my head down, keep to my everyday life, pretend that by and large God's grace, God's light, God's perspective don't really, in the ma don't really matter in the world. 
just to avoid both the highs and the lows. Paul doesn't let us off that easily, and God doesn't let us off that easily. In his letter today, Paul tells us the good news. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the tougher news, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Paul reminds us that with grace, we must accept responsibility and that we are not only to see the holy, but to be holy. So, go ahead, take off your sunglasses every once in a while, but be ready, the light might hurt your eyes. Amen.